You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everyone, welcome to Thesis on Joan. I'm Holly, they, them. And I'm Megan, she, her. Thesis on Joan is a podcast dedicated to amplifying voices from the LGBTQ plus community in the New York performing arts scene and examining the industry from a queer perspective. Join fan queers and theater professionals, Megan and I, as we sit down with groundbreaking theater folk from Brooklyn cabaret performers to people backstage and on Broadway. For many queers, theater has been an escape. This podcast looks to have open conversations on where we've come from and where we're headed as a community while querying the canon along the way. Hey, Megan. Hey, how's it going? Oh, you know, hanging in during the pandemic every day is an adventure in my apartment. I mean, right now our listeners can't see, but the adventure is you have to hold a blanket over your head to get optimal (laughs) sound quality. Um, and it looks like you're playing parachute from like kindergarten. I love it. <laughs> I'm usually, I usually go in our bedroom to record because there's more fabric around. So it absorbs or it, I don't know, it makes better sound quality, but I, it's Saturday and I'm just feeling like I don't want to move all my stuff in there. So, and I think my partner's taking a nap. So, you know, good partner, a good partner. <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, we're over halfway through the season now. Woo. Which feels so wild. It's so crazy. Yeah. I can't believe that, you know, you proposed this to me last October. Oh my gosh. We're gaining on a year of this being like a baby out in the world that we're working on. That's so exciting. It is cool. What's been your favorite thing about the podcast so far? Oh man. Um, I know I said at the beginning that I was like really excited to meet my heroes. So I think the best part has been like, meeting all these amazing artists and also just realizing that they're all, of course, amazing humans too. And um, Mm -hmm. it just feels like such a little quarantine gift to get to like, you know, FaceTime Diana and like talk to Becca and yeah, just see Ty as he's moving outside. It's, it's just been really cool. How about you? What's been your favorite so far? Um, I think uh, from working on artistic projects in the past, I've always been kind of like supporting other people's visions and uh, what they wanted to accomplish. And this is the first time I've really felt like, oh, this is like our project. And like, we're really designing like who we're talking to and what the structure of the podcast is and getting to make like more artistic decisions that I, you know, aren't based in 
other folks to support their vision. It's really like our vision has been really cool. I love that. There's no other person I'd rather share a vision with. Uh, same. <laughs> and also so great that I know, like, I'm never going to propose a question. You're going to be like, mm, that's a little too much. <laughs> <So> <laughs> whether it's about fanfic or about something that like normally they'd be like, let's not get into those heavy issues. I'm glad that we're able to do that. Oh no, let's do dive way into heavier issues. All the heavy issues. Yeah. Yeah. So how have you been staying sane during all this? What's been keeping you going? Oh, so right when the pandemic started, I got a switch. I found a switch online and they were like in heavy demand. And oh, they when were. I first, yeah. <laughs> when I first started looking, they were all sold out and I was like kicking myself for not buying because I've been thinking about getting one for like a year. And I was just so mad at myself that I hadn't done it yet. And then I just kept looking on the Nintendo website every day. And finally one showed up as available at, from like Best Buy and I like jumped on it and got it. So I started playing Zelda Breath of the Wild yes. and oh my God, that <laughs> game has gotten me through so much during these past few months. Like it's not inherently queer, but listen, first of all, I was very surprised that you don't actually play Zelda. I thought I was going to be Zelda. And then I'm like, who is, who is this person? Yep. Who's this legless um, looking dude? Right. And then I'm like, oh, so I'm playing this like kind of femme tomboyish. Yeah. I just think of them as like a, a boyish lesbian or like a totally. trans guy with, you know, like he has such beautiful eyes and hair. Oh like <laughs> I love Link. I definitely have a video game crush on Link. Uh, yeah. I mean, he is, you know, a, long, a younger, like a loss. It makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, just like the ex like the detail in Zelda and all the puzzles. I just love the puzzles so much. And, you know, I don't really like killing the monsters. That's if we could just <laughs> run around in the grass without a shirt on and, and solve puzzles and in like the, shrine. the little like, diamonds. Yeah. Yeah. And the Korok seeds. I'm like mm -hmm. still working on the Korok seeds. I'm like 500 out of 900, but you know, it's good to have there. a hole. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I've just lost so many hours, like instead of, you know, sitting on my couch and wallowing in despair. I just like, like it totally takes my mind out of the world and like focused on like whatever challenge Link is facing at the time. I don't think it's lost though. Cause you're like working your mind on the puzzles and like, it's clearly bringing you joy. So that's, I think that's time well spent. That's great. Yeah. I, I hope so. But I don't, my partner has not loved it at times when I am <laughs> not paying attention to her and just like, leave me alone. Let me be Link. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Good escapism. I, I don't think I realized. So this is your first Zelda game you've ever played. Oh yeah. Yeah. First time. Oh, okay. Oh my gosh. If, again, <laughs> as we go back to like, we should have been friends as children. I would have been making you play Ocarina of Time all the time with me. That's like, yeah. if you ever need to, there's probably like a, internet way to play it on the computer because I'm sure it's not super high def and fancy. But those N64 versions of Zelda were like always my favorite as a kid. They're so great. But what's been what's been giving you joy during the pandemic? Yeah. Um what's been bringing me joy, uh she got a shout out I think in the Sally Kate episode is uh my puppy Indigo. Oh. Uh who is not named after Indigo Girls, even though it's something that I'm continuously asked by every queer encounter on the street. <laughs> I should have thought of that before. Um, my parents have a dog named Blue, 
who has one blue eye. Indy has one blue eye. So we're like, we're going to continue this color tradition. And that's mm-hmm. where her name's Indigo. Um, but we've had her for almost three months now, which is insane. Um, wow. I've, I've been wanting a dog for a long time. And Holly, this is something we talked about a lot because we were both like vying for those shelter dogs early on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just like, Everyone was adopting dogs, which was so great. So we were really lucky to to find Indy. Um, and it's been I like here's my word of advice: if you are in a relationship with someone and you have ever talked about the possibility of bringing a human life into your a small human <laughs> life into your family, definitely try to get a dog first because well, boy, is it a lot of work, um, especially a puppy. Like she was mm-hmm. peeing on everything, you know, and she's just like, thank God they're cute. Like that's how they're still like surviving today and being human companions. <laughs> but like twice this past week, she has tricked me um, by peeing in another room, hearing my reaction. And as I run, she goes and swipes the food off my plate that I was eating. Oh, when no, she, she did it again. Yeah, she did it again. It was bad. <laughs> And this time she got some hot sauce. So I'm hoping that that's like, uh, okay, never again. Um, Uh but she's like a little bundle of baby Australian shepherd joy. Um, and yeah, it's just been like, also, okay. This is the thing about Indy that has like what I didn't expect, but really has helped me during the quarantine is I have to walk her like three, four times a day. And I've made so many new neighborhood friends, right? I've I've lived in this neighborhood for going on nine years now. And I probably knew like eight, ten other people that go to the musical theater night at the bar, obviously. Um, But yeah, the just meeting so many like dog parents has been really cool Uh because it's just people that I probably would never normally interact with. Like someone who's an event planner that does mostly bar mitzvahs and someone who's like a tech (laughs) person working from home. Um, Some teachers in the neighborhood, you know, just people that I wouldn't normally encounter in my day to day. And it's, it's just like having a kid. I'm sure you set up play dates for your puppy. I'm like, got to wear this dog out somehow. So we got to go outside and see Daisy. Like that's how it works. Um, and also, I've been like pawning her off on you guys in our little queer circle to try oh, to yeah. enjoy to everybody. So, I mean, we've had a couple, you know, outdoor eating uh, excursions since this started, and I've met, I've seen Indy twice now, I think. And oh, she's just the softest, cutest friggin' thing ever. And she's so smart. I worry about you because she's, she's gonna take over your oh, family. Totally. <laughs> It already like slowly is. Um, we, uh, my partner and I had a chance to go camping, um, a couple weeks ago. Uh, Holly's mm-hmm. favorite thing, camping. Well, we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna get you there one day. Um, Lies. <laughs> and after three nights in the tent, Indy wakes up and is crying to go outside. And I just wasn't fast enough with my shoes and she just unzipped the tent herself with her little mouth and wow. away. So. <laughs> Definitely keeping me on my toes. That's for sure. But it's been great. I feel like we both got things that we were trying, that were in scarce supply and trying to get at the beginning of quarantine. (laughs) And we both got the thing that we needed at the time. (laughs) It's true. It's it's definitely what I needed to keep me going. Because we got Indy right at, when did you get your Switch? It was only like a couple, uh, like maybe a month into quarantine. Yeah. Yeah. And we found uh, out we were definitely getting her beginning of May, which I think was mm-hmm. right when like, like I got furloughed, right? And right when I was really like Broadway's not coming back for a long time. So mm-hmm. a little 
little crazy light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> yeah. And in, we're, my partner and I are about to travel to the Midwest for a month to Ohio and Michigan to see our families. And, uh, we're going to try and find a dog out there. So stay tuned. Maybe might have some dog news in the next few weeks. Oh, ah. I hope it happens. Oh, yeah. So excited. We need to expand yeah. our queer dog chosen family. Oh my God. Yeah. Also, I want listeners to send us their dog pics if they have dogs. Oh my God. Yep. 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 All the dogs. I mean, you can send your other pet pics too. That's fine. We're just (laughs) especially dog fans on this podcast. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I am so excited to get into this uh, interview with Diana O. They've been such a hero for me for the last few years after seeing uh, my lingerie play and just completely losing my shit during that show. Like, uh, it was just such a visceral experience that I haven't really experienced in theater before. And it was this a dream that it, we get to talk to them. And having this conversation with them, I know is like for both of us, just such a, like a, Oh, look at the hope that we have to move forward with theater. So <laughs> yeah. Thanks to uh, Diana for that too. I'm so glad. Yeah. So excited to share this with everyone. And yeah. Yay, Diana. Yay, Diana. Today we're sitting down with Diana O. Diana O is a multi-genre performer, singer, songwriter, musician, actor, and creator of performance, installation, concert, ritual, and party. O is a Refinery29 top LGBTQ influencer and the first queer Korean American interviewed on Korean broadcast radio. The creator of the Infinite Love Party, My Lingerie Play, Clairvoyance, a year-long installation and concert series in Harvard Yard, the Boston Public Library, Institute of Contemporary Art, Harvard Arboretum, and ART. 24-Hour Punk, Asian People Are Not Magicians on Mike.com, and My Hate Letter to the Great American Theater at the Public Theater. She was the mentor of Sean Randall's The Making of How to Save the World in 90 Minutes for the Cherry Lane's Mentor Project in 2019, and TV and Film, Queering, How to Be Single, New York is Dead at the Tribeca Film Festival, Hey Yoon featuring Janet Mock, and Unicorn Land on NPR and Vice. O tours with their art in unexpected spaces and enjoys not fitting into boxes. Hey, Diana, welcome to the podcast. Welcome. Hello. Hi. So, Diana, we usually start by asking guests to share their name, their pronouns, and anything else that you would like to share about how you identify. Sure. Um, I'm Diana O. Uh, I use they and she pronouns, um, and I identify as a human with a very soft heart. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So you describe the work you do as uh, art with a capital A. And can you explain a bit how you classify art with a capital A? Sure. Um, I am me. I think it's, it's very, it's for protective measures (laughs) so that, um, you know, it's kind of how I, um, keep myself honest and keep my art honest from, you know, a vulnerable emotional place. Um, I, it's so amazing because I just ended this two hour conversation. Um, basically that was just talking about, you know, how, how to bring my work to the next level into the commercial realm. And commercial has always been one of those words that I, 
that I cringe at because I for so long have associated commercial with complacency and complicitness and Mm. violence and damage and Mm. heteronormativity and cis normativity and white normativity that now to, um, speak about going commercial with, as an intention, um, I, I've, I've had to um, reframe it as, as just larger, right? Commercial doesn't, doesn't have to mean all those things. I can, my definition of it is just for it to have um, a wider impact, a larger outreach. Um, and, and what I don't want it to do is have that come at the expense of my morals or values or principles. And so that's why it's important to me that I create art with an A, which also allows me to be in charge of my voice and not ever feel like I've become someone's, uh, you know, cog plaything mm-hmm. <laughs> lemming. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, makes sense. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so you describe yourself as an unboxable artist. You've created as a songwriter, a director, an actor, a performance artist, many other different mediums. Can you talk a little bit more about your process of building a form, if any, for a particular message and how that changes with each project you pursue? Yeah. Um, thank you for that question. Um, yes, I, I've, I've taken to labeling myself as unboxable because for so long and so often, you know, I, people didn't know how to box me in, you know, they didn't quite know how to sell me in quotation marks. And, um, just so that I didn't, you know, pursue a life of an artist with frustration, I was just like, okay, let me just take care of it. And let me just let y'all know that it's okay if I'm unboxable, you know, it's okay that I, um, you know, I, I contain multitudes just like you. And I, I do identify as a polymath as in somebody who, you know, is capable of doing many things and loving doing many things and is able to, um, uh, pull off doing many things, you know, with joy and, um, and capability Um, so I took to the word unboxable, um, because people were, you know, having trouble explaining it and kind of, you know, doing the elevator pitch for me. And I also think that as, um, you know, because of my sexuality and my sexual tendencies, um, you know, I, that goes pretty unboxable as well. Um, and it, it was kind of my way of, of making sure, you know, that the man never really got me down that just because I didn't fit into people's boxes didn't mean that I was any less than, or that my art was had any less value or that my art was less valid. And then in terms of creating it, um, you know, so much of it has to do with what the invitation is, um, you know, when I speak, I speak of opportunities and I speak of, um, you know, anytime I get to do my work, whether as a creator, an actor, a singer, um, a songwriter, a musician, uh, a maker, a person leading the room, whatever it is, I, I like to think of those as invitations because what you are essentially inviting me to do is you are inviting me to be 
my full self and the whole version of myself. Um, and if you aren't inviting me to be my whole self, then that isn't necessarily an invitation, in which case then that is a job. Um, so for me, it's kind of having to separate between, well, what are those spaces that are invitations where I'm being invited in? And then what are those spaces where I'm being hired to do a job? Um, and in terms of, you know, the forms I create, um, which I really, really believe in recreating form and creating form. And it just has so much to do with our identities and, you know, my parents have had to definitely recreate themselves, um, as Korean immigrants moving to America. And I definitely feel like I've had to create and recreate myself as, um, a Korean American queer identified, um, thing <laughs> with person, you know, <laughs> um, I, you know, and that I just feel like so many of my friends, I, I've just watched them create and recreate themselves. And I, I think it's such a healthy, wonderful thing to do. Um, and it's also, I'm always questioning like, well, why is the form, why are we so addicted to that specific form and for how long? And once I realize that, well, it's been ever since, you know, um, the making of America, <laughs> you know, I've always just kind of had to question like, well, who made America? And, um, maybe that needs to change too, you know? <laughs> so, um, you know, it's always what I create is always determined by the deadline, <laughs> like the literal, like, oh, <laughs> shit, I literally have this thing that's due and I need to follow through with it. And I believe in deadlines being being an incredible doula in terms of birthing art um, <laughs> and the space, you know, the space is such a such an informant for me for for what I want to create. Um and then, and then where my, where my heart is at, you know, I really believe in, in a heart forward process. And, and if, if I can't feel good doing it, then I'm, then I'm not going to do it. Um, and that kind of goes for, for everything I, I do, even if that means I'm hired as an actor. Um, yeah. And I think that comes from, you know, cause I had, I had spent, you know, maybe one or two years kind of doing it in a way that I was like, this doesn't feel good. Um, and I'm just an incredibly impatient person that I can only stand that for so long. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the unboxable seems to fit pretty clearly into the like queer spectrum and identity and especially as a POC queer person. Yeah. How has the queer community influenced the theater spaces that you create and how, do, how does the term chosen family apply or not to, to the theater spaces you make too? Yeah. Um, I believe so hard in chosen family. Um, you know, I've defined chosen family for me as the people who you graduate into sexuality with, you know, cause we just need people who are close to us who can hold our <laughs> sexual desires and, you know, we'll be able to turn to them and they will love us unconditionally and they will be able to hold our desire, um, you know, with care and courage and courtesy and keep us safe, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so that's what chosen family has become to mean to me. And, um, you know, I done a, uh, an installation about chosen families in Harvard yard, um, for one of my clairvoyance installations. And 
even then I had to dive into like, wow, what does, what does chosen family really mean to me? And I had to really define it for myself. And, um, so that's the really recent realization I had. Um, and then in terms of, you know, the queer community, <laughs> like informing the spaces I make, I mean, I just feel like there's just no separation between my, my desire and my artistic impulses because it's just so intertwined. You know, my social life is so intertwined with what I make because, because my pleasure is so intertwined with what I make. And obviously like if I'm going to go socialize, why would I socialize in like a shitty unfriendly <laughs> space that makes me feel bad, you know? Um, so <laughs> I think with my art, you know, I'm trying to make spaces that, that make me feel good. Um, and in turn, just kind of trusting that, well, if it's going to make me feel good, then, then it'll probably also make other people feel good too. Um, you know, I do take my friendships really, really seriously. And so I don't think I, I don't think for me, it's not like, Oh, I'm going to focus on this one community, um, and really make art, um, for this one community, because I, I, I think that's, that can feel a little like, I don't know. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna dabble in, you know, making, um, uh, making, uh, uh, making Filipino food tonight or whatever. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to make a metaphor here, but like, you know, <laughs> but I think for me, it's actually a lot more. It's a lot more simple. Where I'm just trying to really honor um, the integrity of my desire and my relationships and my friendships, and that feels a lot that feels a completely manageable and be true, true to me. And if by effect, you know, if that happens to speak to, uh, you know, a, a large amount of people, then that's, then that's just, that's bonus and that's extra yummy points. Yay. Yum. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of a large amount of people, uh, we'd love to hear a little bit more from you about, um, partying as art and how you use that in your work. Yeah. Um, it's so important. It's so important. You know, I, I think I, it was, a, I, I had a therapist once really break it down for me where she was like, Oh wow. It's no wonder your art is so big and sparkly and colorful and bombastic um, <laughs> because you, you were never given space when you were younger, you know, and when I was younger growing up in LA, um, you know, the youngest of three kids, uh, Korean immigrant family, you know, I wasn't given my own space, my own room, my own closet, my own bathroom, my own bed. You know, I had shared a bed with a sibling or a parent up until, um, I was 17 years old and, and left for college. And so I wasn't really given a space to have those particular creative outlets. Um, you know, my friendships were definitely a creative outlet for me, but in terms of creating, you know, stuff in a room, <laughs> like having like playtime in a room, it's just, I didn't really have that kind of privacy. And so now that I'm older and now that, you know, things like resources exist and like support <laughs> systems and um, producers and like people who like actually want to see your vision come to life um, and designers and rooms and all this stuff, you know, now I just feel like I have all this pent up playtime energy where it's just like, oh my God, well, if I don't put my imagination somewhere, then I'm just 
it's just going to like die with me in the, in a journal and that's going to suck. And, <laughs> um, you know, and I just love a dance floor because a dance floor is like, I don't have to talk to anybody. I don't have to explain myself to anybody. I can just dance and let something else take over. I don't even have to think about it. You know, in, in fact, like the less you think the better. Um, and I'm always going to be pro that, <laughs> than, <laughs> you know, thinking. Hmm. Wow. So uh, why is it important for you to have consent, which we don't usually associate with theater, be mm-hmm. such a focus and a community ag- agreement in your pieces too? Um. Uh, wow. Yeah. I think definitely to right the wrongs <laughs> for sure, <laughs> you know, to right the wrongs that, you know, my body has experienced definitely growing up. Um, and also because my work is so tied into my desire and my fun and pleasure and joy. Um, you know, I, it's a, it's the same thing for my personal life is that consent makes those things happen for me. And then if my trust is broken or if my consent is broken, or if I, if I am not given the agency, um, to provide consent or not, then I am in a scared place. Then I am, then literal trust is broken. Then, um, you know, I can't quite lose myself within the parameters of the, of the room, you know, um, because I want to know that, that at, that, that at the end of the day, like, I can do the drug, I can do the drug, but then I'll always have a say in like, okay, that's enough drug for me. <laughs> like I, or I can be like, today I'm not going to do the drug. I actually just want to watch everybody else do the drug. Um, and I want to know that I have control over that and no one's sitting there forcing drugs upon me. Cause that's just so fucked up. Whether you're in the theater or like on a sidewalk, you know, no one wants mm. to live that life. Um, And because I, you know, definitely being a Korean person who, you know, I didn't get to have a lot of conversations about sex and sexuality um, growing up, um, you know, I I get to have them now. And and I definitely feel like growing up queer, I definitely didn't get to have conversations about that growing up. and, And, and I just always knew that I was, I was, I was an extrovert and, and I didn't have any shame really around it. You know, I, if I, like, if I, I would never wear pants if like, if I could have it my way, you know, um, (laughs) and I want to know that I can not wear pants and and also not get killed all in the same day. Can I ask a follow-up question? And if this is too personal, tell me to fuck off, but uh, has your, has your family seen your, your work? Fuck off. No. <laughs> um, yeah, they totally have. They absolutely have. And, you know, my dad loves music and I've always had that connection with him. And, um, he passed away, you know, last year. And, um, you know, my dad, you know, it was so much less about like the sexual liberation <laughs> of my body and all of that. And he just loved the music and my mom um you know she just thought of it as so brave so brave but she does have this there's this joke 
where, you know, she loves my music, but hates my stories. <laughs> like, she, she, but that's her way. I know that for her, she's just being protective, you know, cause she's, my parents were born, um, into the Korean war at the very end of the Korean war. And then in 1980, you know, Korea went through a time of martial law, which, which wasn't really any different from what we're going through with um, Donald Trump right now. And, you know, my father was an outspoken politician, not a politician, but uh, he was on his way to becoming a politician. You know, he was a very outspoken um, civil rights activist in Korea. And yeah. And he was, tortured by the government and caught and um you know i i think for my parents um and definitely for my mother they associated speaking out with getting caught being punished you know because they were somebody who had been they were people who had been through that um and a lot of my parents friends had been through that and so so i think for them to see their youngest child you know out in the street doing installations and um, in their lingerie and doing very, uh, public, loud, <laughs> sweaty things. Um, they, there was, of course, that, that fear that creeps in. You know, I know that for them, it just, it came, it comes from a protective place of wanting to make sure that nothing bad happens to me. Yeah. Totally. I, I recently found my, my Korean birth family. And I've been like mm. trying to kind of talk to them about what's happening right now and for the Black Lives Matter movement. And they, mm. you know, especially my parents don't speak any English. So I've been like mm. finding resources in Korean and sending it to them, but I have like no idea how they're receiving it. And yeah, I feel like language around racism and anti-blackness is so specific and nuanced and like, the translation apps are not really helping me like really understand what they're responding to. And yeah, but I feel like there's that sentiment of like, Oh, we just want you to be safe. Like don't go outside. Don't go to the protests because we just want you to be safe. (laughs) And obviously you're not going to listen. And (laughs) right. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Totally. But yeah, but I hope to like keep having those conversations with them. Yeah. Anyway, back to your work. So I saw my lingerie play and that was such a transformative experience for me to like see for the very first time a queer Korean being just so unapolog- unapologetically themselves and like such a rock star. And do you, do you feel like the lack of representation of Asian and especially queer Asian folk affect what you choose to create? Wow. Um, fascinating. <laughs> Well, thank for thank you, thank you for seeing that, and thank you for reflecting that because I definitely, um, you know, it's it's you seeing that and 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 saying that that kind of gives me the courage to to be who I am, um, and I, I literally obviously do it for um, for you and people like you, and so I just want to thank you so much for um, giving me that strength yeah. and that reminder, you know, um, I, I actually, I mean, instinctively it was, my answer was like, wow, it's so much less about like the representation I've been shown and so much more about the people behind the scenes working on the work, 
you know, the producers at play, the marketing people, um, the people selling tickets, the people doing outreach, like it's the lack of representation in those realms that I think create blocks for um, artists who, who, who identify as marginalized, you know, um, that kind of prevents more people from breaking through because it is such a, um, it is such a climb to get to a place of like, this is who I am. This is what I want to make. Here's what I'm not willing to compromise on. Please don't talk about my work in this way and that thing. Here's how to talk about my work in this way and this thing, you know, and how to like keep it in the positive and keep it on, you know, get everybody on the same page. And, um, you know, cause definitely I, if, if my work isn't liberating me, then it's liberating nobody. <laughs> and if, if, if I'm feeling trapped by my work, then it's gonna show <laughs> because I'm that, <laughs> I just feel like I'm that transparent and I'm, I'm just, I'm just such a bad liar that I can't, I just can't, I can't lie. I can't do it. I've been really bad at it and people know you know, I, I am an open heart, but it's like, I, <laughs> like, and I rarely dislike people, but when I don't, I, I can't quite fake the smile enough. And I've been caught many times. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's definitely like a blessing and a curse when that, when that happens. But yeah, I would say that it's the lack of representation behind the scenes that um, makes it difficult when it becomes difficult okay round two name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We'll, we'll talk about this a little bit with a later question, but yeah, totally having been in many of those rooms, as I know Holly has been too, it's just mm-hmm. very homogenous and... um I know as being a white woman, I'm part of that. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of, a lot of folks think that if the representation is on stage, it doesn't necessarily matter what's happening behind the scenes. So just mm. thanks for vocalizing that. Um, yeah. so going back to, um, kind of the sense of community and, and the joy in your work. Um, I think I know speaking personally, a lot of us could really use some of the joy that is found in infinite love party right now. Um, what do you think, uh, how can we find some, some of that joy in a world of socially distanced lives or what do you think is going to be like our, our version of that today or your version of that today? Um, this, I mean, this conversation, the fact that you're, I think the two of you have, 
Um, it feels like such a clarity of purpose and intention and action. You know, all we really need, I think, to be happy is just what are, what are our pockets of activation? You know, what actually gets, moves us enough to do something? Because it's the second that we are doing something and we can turn the mind off and we can turn the anxiety dial down, um, when we're actively in the pursuit of something. Um, so I think whatever people are, you know, whatever anyone is able to do to take care of themselves in that way to just, um, you know, remember again what they like, remind yourself of what you like, remind yourself <laughs> of the things you enjoy and remember that you, you know, you, 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 we don't have to necessarily sit in mourning of all these things that we enjoy, like the things we enjoyed before social distancing are still things we enjoy now and we can still have it, you know, where it's like, okay, so I, I love going out to dance and I miss that fiercely. I miss <laughs> dancing right. with a group of people. Holy shit. But if I know that, then it's like, I know that music is all I need to hear to activate me and get me up on my feet and out of my fucking misery. <laughs> um, and that's not to say it, it's easy because the mind is a powerful thing and the mind can be our best friend and our worst enemy, you know, all within minutes. And, you know, meditation is, and I, I this is coming from somebody who is a lazy fucking meditator. You know, <laughs> when I meditate, Same. I'm like, Right, Sam? I'm like, I'm going to breathe for three minutes and it's going to like fix all my chakras. You know? <laughs> so, but it's amazing how those three minutes of breathing literally are like, it's all good. Wow. I paused for three. I like stopped saying shitty things to myself for three minutes. Thank God. You know, and that's kind of all I need to just get myself active again. Um, and there is actually something more intimate now about, you know, talking on the phone with my friends that feels really soft and really nice. And I guess I, I think because I felt like, well, what did we think was going to happen? Of course the world was going to break. And of course America was going to break. We were at a breaking point. Like you wanted like the, whoever you is the empirical you like, <laughs> Or we, we, we all wanted so much, so soon, so fast, all the time, that it's like, I, like I guess there's a part of me that's like, I'm not surprised that mm -hmm. there's an energy out there that was just begging for a pause, you know, mm -hmm. and, and maybe because we weren't taking care of ourselves enough, and if we're not taking care of ourselves, then we're not taking care of each other, and I know that. I definitely could have done a better job at taking care of myself and taking care of other people. So I, I just kind of, I, I've just, I don't know. I've just, I've, I've welcomed the pause for, for as weird and terrible and nasty as it is. Um, there's a lot of wonderfulness coming out of it too. Yeah. I hope it is like a reset and an opportunity for a lot of change and growth right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and kind of relating to, to, uh, we were thinking about clairvoyance, your installation mm -hmm. to the white people read yeah. and thinking about like taking care of yourself versus taking care of others. It's like, how do you balance calling in allies while also holding people accountable with your work? Ooh. 
Um, I think, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, how do you, I'm still learning, right? It's like, mm-hmm. I'm still learning. I just know that for me, uh, I, I have to do it to center the people I want to center because, you know, that is what brings me joy. Like, right. Like making something that is like, so, so super cis heteronormative, like centering white folks is just the thing that's not going to necessarily bring me joy. And so I think it's less about like, you know, holding, holding you accountable and pointing your finger at it. And more about like, let me celebrate and center who I want to celebrate and center because those are the people who are celebrated and centered in my social life. So let me, let me do that. Let me focus on that. And then by virtue of that, it, you know, of course I'm going to, I don't know, by virtue of that, I guess it does hold people accountable. It holds the space accountable to, um, you know, accountable to that mission. But, but I definitely don't, I don't set out to be, to, I don't start from the negative, I guess is what I'm trying to say is that I, is that I, that I, I'll always try to find a way to, to root it in the positive, um, so that I don't get burnt out so that I don't just become this like angry <laughs> artist where it's like, that's a lie because a lot of my art brings me a lot of pleasure, you know? Um, and it's also, I will also say that it's very pleasurable to like rage sing and sing one of my punk songs and like <laughs> release that too. You know, I just, if it makes me feel free, it makes me feel free. And that's that. <laughs> and I, I think we saw some of that um, when we got to catch your online version of my hate letter to the great American theater. Um, and that was incredible. <laughs> Thank you for doing that in, in quarantine. Um, wow. But a lot of the uh, frustrations and demands in that are now being echoed even further throughout the theater community. I guess for the folks who didn't get a chance to see it, what would you say are the, in your opinion, the most urgent steps that you want to see American theater take towards change? And do you think it's even salvageable at this point? Right. I do think it's salvageable. Um, I think it's salvageable because uh, people won't run out of money. You know, the people who have money won't run out of it. And I think essentially at the end of the day, what we are talking about is an, a reallocation of resources um, you know, cause the people who are being centered, um, and who are given the permission to take the spotlight also happen to be the people who are very highly paid. <laughs> and that's not a <laughs> right. coincidence. Um, you know, I think some, some amazing steps forward, um, you know, something that would feel like progress is, is the folks who are wanting the help and especially the folks who are in privileged position, whether that is financially, historically, um, or visibly, you know, you're visibly privileged. Um, whatever you are able to do to, to allow folks of color and folks from marginalized identities, whatever you're able to do to allow those folks to, to code switch less, that is it. All we want to do is code switch less. All we want to do is to be able to express ourselves authentically without fear of repercussions, without fear of losing our job, losing money, losing relationships. We want to be able to be ourselves 
and have you help us be ourselves. And with that comes a lot more trust um, and a lot more handing over of resources and a lot more of of loosening the reins and loosening the control on what on what artists are creating. You know, I think that definitely, you know, to each their own, some artists really thrive on a lot of notes and taking in, like, I just, I just need a lot of notes. I need a lot of da 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 da. And I can confidently say that I am not one of those artists. Like, because my, so much of my art, it's just like, it just, it's like those notes don't even apply. You know, it's like that school of thought doesn't, even apply. Um, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily want to write the next Tennessee Williams magnum opus, you know, f- four part play. Um, and so allowing for new forms to be created and encouraging artists who, who haven't been given the permission to take up that space, you know, giving them a healthy amount of encouragement too, knowing that um, we're at a time where we're kind of in this like awkward <laughs> transition phase of, of um, sharing the spotlight. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And there's more there. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but that's, you know, that's one thing that I think. Yeah. Could help, you know? <laughs> Step one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and you also talk about in my hate letter to the great American theater that you, uh, you're uncomfortable with claiming yourself as a theater artist. Yeah. What would, what would make you feel more willing to claim that label? I don't know if I ever will be comfortable claiming that label in, in this lifetime. You know, I, I don't, and I, and I like that. You know, I, I, I like being an artist. I like keeping my channels open. You know, if, if you had told me that five years ago I was going to be on this podcast interview with you talking about the things that we're talking about, I would have been like, there's no way, you know, if, if, if I had kind of defined myself before I even made the work, I just feel like I would have cut myself short. Mm -hmm. And so I think I feel that same way about this, this like, you know, claiming theater as, as my space and my, and my, my soul space yeah, and I mean soul, like S-O-L-E, you know, my discomfort with that is just because I, I don't want to tie myself down in this, like, strictly monogamous relationship where, you know, I just know that I'm a very poly-spirited person um, <laughs> and I'm going to want to work in so many mediums. Like, I don't even know yet. You know, I love creating installation. And I didn't know that I loved creating installation until I started making installations. You know, um, I love working in museum spaces. I love, um, you know, even finding music writing and songwriting. Like, I didn't set out with the intention of find it. If anything, it found me. And so I guess that's why I just, I love being called, I love calling myself an artist and just telling folks that I'm a, I'm a creative, you know, I'm an artist that, that kind of, that keeps my channels open. It just allows me to keep my imagination alive uh, and not feel owned by anyone or anything. 
And I'm hoping that's kind of echoed through more of our traditional channels now that we've been forced to not necessarily stick to the one form or what like people have <laughs> been kind of forced to look at how they create and change. Um, so you're definitely an inspiration for that, for sure. Thank you. Um, so we were talking a little bit more about how we need to continue to create more space um, for folks. But are there any theaters or artists that you could point to that have made you feel seen or represented, if any? Oh, yeah. I mean, to- of course, of course, I wouldn't. I feel like I wouldn't be here if there weren't other people <laughs> to look up to. I have a, an obsession with Yoko Ono, and I always have had, you know, in terms of an artist who I do feel like is undervalued. <laughs> I think she's she's the most undervalued um, popular artist in <laughs> the American canon. You know, she's just somebody who has kept the channels open. Um, you know, she's a performer. She started off as a visual artist. Um, she wait. She makes music. She makes poetry. She makes street art. She puts her stuff in mediums. You know, she just kind of has made a living getting to be her. Um, which for me is just the ultimate goal is all I want to do is just be paid to be me. You know, know, I I don't even necessarily want to create a persona of me. I just want to be me. So she's somebody who I look up to a great deal. Um, uh, Mark and Sophie who work at ART, um, Mark Lunsford and Sophie Ansevall. Mark Lunsford runs the Oberon space and he's also, you know, a producing, um, a, a producer at ART. And those two folks were the real reason why I was able to create what I was able to create with clairvoyance. You know, they just gave me so much access, so much trust. We were able to be on the same page. They really, I really felt like they heard me and they understood me. And I think what it comes down to is that I'm realizing how rare those spaces are where you're just where you, where you feel heard. Um, so I really, uh, I look, I look to them as, um, really beautiful producers because they really, um, want to get to know the artist. And I think that's wonderful. Other folks I look up to, I look up to my mother a whole lot, (laughs) um, just for being able to, um, do the possible in completely impossible situations. I mean, I really feel that way about any immigrant parent who <laughs> maintains a relationship with their child. It's just like, uh, I just, I just feel like I, I really know the, the work that it, that it took to, to get there. Um, there's a, there's a group of parents called the API rainbow parents. Um, and it's this organization that I'm really obsessed with. And um, I look to those parents a lot for inspiration um, and not, I mean, for strength really, because it's less about the inspiration and more about strength. I guess, I guess the people who I do look up to are, they're people who, who make me feel strong, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, you both, I mean, you both like, this is giving me strength. <laughs> <laughs> well, vice versa oh, too. Yeah. Oh, good. But, yeah. Okay. I feel like when we were planning for this podcast, you were like the first person I thought of. I'm like, oh, nothing screams like queer theater to me like Dana. So I'm so excited. You're number one on the list. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, So you mentioned um, 
the API Rainbow Parents, and we have a section every episode called Queer Gives, where we shout mm-hmm. out different organizations or cooperatives supporting the LGBTQ community. Uh, and you had said what, those were one of the folks you wanted to talk about. So is there anything else you want to share about them or the, the other group that you mentioned? Yeah. Um so I, the, I, the API Rainbow Parents are, you know, they're an organization who I met through the National Korean Queer and Trans Conference, um, which was definitely a life-altering event for me to um, be surrounded by so many Korean queer and trans people in America, which I know that um, for us, it can feel like maybe we're one of 10 and so to kind of be surrounded by one of thousands <laughs> across the nation was a pretty powerful, spectacular experience. And, um, I, I didn't know that this group existed, but the API rainbow parents, they're, they're literally parents, like who are my parents age, who are advocates for queer, trans, IA plus Korean folks um you know they're advocates for 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 us and they help um communicate between parents and um you know their kids and so they kind of serve as this bridge you know this intergenerational bridge because i think a lot of the the chasm and the the not understanding and a lot of the i mean it's it's a violent quite a violent you know, chasm that exists, I think, between generations, um, as far as as Korean folks are concerned, is um, they serve as a a resource and a source of love and support, um, emotional, mental, financial. I mean, it's just like you can reach, anybody can reach out to them and just be like, help, (laughs) whether Mm -hmm. you're a parent or, or a kid, you know. Yeah, I remember uh at the concert for that conference they that you performed in, they had uh like moms going around with like free hug signs that you yeah. could get like a hug from an API parent. Oh my gosh. And then and when they spoke to you, like the whole room just was like sobbing by the end. It was so good. It was so good. And so healing in a way that that I wonder I, I mean I'm I'm sure you felt this too, was I just I felt like a hole inside of me like close up like a wound I didn't realize that was there you know I just didn't realize Mm -hmm. how much I I I didn't actually get that kind of hug of like I validate you and your choices (laughs) (laughs) like go have sex with whoever you want to have sex with like I I, I'm proud of you you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah you also uh, said you wanted to shout out the developing artists Yes, developing artists. Um, now they don't, they don't necessarily, you know, they don't identify as, um, a QT org, but they are a company that's run by my really good friends, Jen and Jill, and they serve artists from marginalized communities. Um, and, you know, definitely across, uh, economic spectrums and racial identities and sexuality identities. And they, they really do it with a lot of integrity and authenticity and they don't give a fuck. And it's amazing to see an organization not give a fuck who are there for the youth to help the youth not give a fuck. I feel like that is so rare. Um, you know, cause somehow we find a way to just to, to like <laughs> turn the youth into eunuchs. You know, we like, we turn them into like 
um, little golden children and developing artists is really there to honor the artists in them. Um, and they're just an amazing organization and I'm always going to stand by their cause and do whatever I can to spotlight them and give them my money. Thanks for sharing this with us, Diana. That's, that sounds incredible. I can't wait to look awesome. up more about them. Yay. So this is our section where we talk about older theater and how we queer it. Um, so <laughs> there are so many problematic representations of Asian folks in the theater canon. Is there one that you particularly want to correct and queer or just get rid of? Oh my God. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank God this outlet is here because I watched Little Shop of Horrors for the first time um over you know quarantine and i'd never seen it i'd only see pieces of it but i saw it in its entirety and then you know the plant shop owner in little shop of horrors mm-hmm. uh-huh oh it's like it's his name is chang right or something right i haven't seen it in a while yeah Damn. i'm like okay. blanking i haven't seen the is movie, this the movie? so the movie yeah it's a different. movie it's the movie okay. and it's okay that you're blanking because you would blink on the asian character in little shop of words because he's like motherfucker <laughs> who comes out of his plant shop dressed in like fucking like bought this fucking costume at ricky's doesn't oh, have God. a line you know doesn't say shit and just comes out to just be like the laughing, like he, 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 he sold the white man, like a freaky ass exotic plant. And then that's the character of Chang, right? Uh-huh. And I was like, yo, what if, <laughs> what if they did Little Shop of Horrors, Chang's resurrection or some shit? And you just have to like, this is a solo show about Chang and like fuck all those like white people getting into trouble with a fucking plant. Like let's talk about Chang and his relationship with all his plants and why he even has these like dope ass plants. Right. <laughs> or just get rid of it or just get rid of it and don't try. And then just like figure out a different way to make us look dope, you know? <laughs> oh, I would love for someone to go to a revival of Little Shop and the second act is just all Chang hanging out with his plants. Oh, <laughs> <They'd be> like, <laughs> yes. Make actually make him a human person. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. With I lines. Just, wow. Now I have to go back and watch the movie just to to know what this is. I know I yeah. can't oh. Terrible. Yeah, you're gonna wow. boycott Little Shop after it. You're gonna be like, I'm, oh. I hate that musical. I doubt. Well, I doubt the stage productions have that, or I wonder if it's like written to be an Asian character because I feel like I don't think I've seen a production of Little Shop with any Asian people in it. Wow. All right. Well, yeah. I've never read the libretto. I mean, yeah. yeah, and I didn't. It didn't make me want to pick. I mean, Little. Shop, it's amazing. Little Shop is amazing. Okay. <laughs> but damn, Chang is. That was quite the offense. Yeah. Huh. Well, thank you. I'm glad we got to speak about this. <laughs> yeah. You're yeah, welcome. Also, like unexpected one. I'm glad we're like speaking truth to the little shop <laughs> situation. <laughs> it's so insidious. It's such in like such random like Asian racism is in such random shows. Like Dames at Sea has a song that they didn't cut in this last revival. Like why? Why is it still yeah. there? Really? Because people are really that dumb. <laughs> you know, people are just like this is what. They're like these Asian people. They don't mind. This actor doesn't mind sitting in tech for 40 hours to just come on and like, I don't know. 
mm-hmm. move a plant or whatever. <laughs> or like all other aspects of theater. It's like <laughs> sentimental value of things is winning over any actual change. Yeah. yeah My friend terrible. Jack, Jack Phillips Moore, who works at the public who ran the writing group that I was in there, he um he says nostalgia is violence. Mm. And then mm-hmm. Jesse Cameron Alec, who is the is the one half of the Jack and Jesse team at the public, Jesse is the other person who runs the writing group group at the public. He says bureaucracy is violence. Is is violence. Bureaucracy mm. is violence. Mm. Yeah. And I think both are true. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Especially in theater. <laughs> So another part of our show that uh, we have with every episode is we would love to hear from you on some of your queer culture wrecks outside of theater. What kind of queer culture are you indulging in? Ooh, wow. Um, Making tea. I love making tea. I don't know if that's necessarily like a queer cultural thing, but I feel like, I mean, the reason why it feels queer to me is because it's like, mm, I'm going to slow down and really take care of myself and in that way, take care of you, you know, because I just find that, um, at least in, in what I identify as my queer community, I just feel like it's so sensitive and <laughs> and we're so emotionally tethered and all that jazz. I'm really, oh my God. Uh, I love making fun of Love is Blind. I know that that's not a queer cultural wreck, but the activity of making fun of Love is Blind as a queer person is like oh, a total great. recommendation. Yeah. So fun. Um, dance parties. I know what I'm saying are not. <laughs> no. Do you think a queer Love is Blind would work? <laughs> of course I do. That would be lit. That would be so lit. That would be like, I'll take you and you and you. Right? It would be so yes. much better. Well, they'll never do it, but it would be so Why? much better. Well, there's Can that I show. Is it? I think it's called Are You the One? Where oh they put like 15 strangers in a house and they've done all these like love tests. And you have like a soulmate in the house and you have to figure out which one is yours. Oh and then if everyone gets it correct, they all get like a million dollars. But <gasps> there's like a season, like season like eight, I think is all bisexual people. So they could literally be matched up with anyone. And it is just like queer anarchy. I loved it so much. Wow. No Maybe kidding. Okay, fine, cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like, oh my god, you're weird. Pen fifteen feels yeah. they just feel so queer to me. Yeah, I a love black, that. I love that. A black lady sketch show. A black lady sketch show is so dope. It's on HBO. Watch it now. Awesome. It's, it's awesome. Will do. Do you have any yeah. specific tea recommendations? Well, right now I'm making the tea, the pot of tea I'm making. Oh my God. My tea set is so queer. My tea set is like, oh, it's just so flowery and so sparkly. And it's just I love amazing. It. Yeah. I'm like so hot and gay for my tea set. Um, <laughs> right now I'm making Tower of London by Harney and Sons. Um, my favorite tea is the Paris tea from Harney and Sons. I really am a big fan. I also, what I love to do is I love going to the Korean market and getting barley tea and having an iced pitcher of barley tea in my fridge at all times during the summer. 
Mm. Um, it's so good. Now I'm just looking in my fridge for like my queer cultural <laughs> <laughs> food choices. That's where we keep yeah. all of our queer culture. <laughs> yeah. our I'm like, my oat milk is really queer. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Superfood creamer. My, um, We're getting a visual lot- tour of Diana's yeah. fridge yeah. right now. It's great. This vegan pesto I made with bacon oh, in queer. it. That's queer. Ooh. Wait, vegan with bacon. Love it's that. with bacon. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Key. Um, this oh, this non-dairy frozen dessert from Pinkberry. Mm-hmm. Ooh. <laughs> now I'm you hungry. Got all the priorities in this fridge: ice cream, <laughs> bacon, pesto. So good. Wait, have you ever been to the Harney and Sons headquarters? Hell yeah! It's Hell so great. Yeah. Oh my god, it's so great and overpriced and great. It's too expensive, but I accidentally ended up there and I was like, this is basically like a magical world. Right. <laughs> I just stepped through. <laughs> is it the tea place? Yeah, but it's like weirdly here. It's not that far away. It's like huh. an hour, right? It's like an hour and a half away or something like I that. I don't remember. It's like in Massachusetts or New yeah. York or like, you know, I, it could be in either one. I don't remember. But there's like a tea concierge and they like ask you what you want to try and they like brew it up on the spot and set a timer to make sure it's like the appropriate <laughs> brew time. It's wacky. It's great. It's wild, man. Yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> now I'm eating this non-dairy frozen dessert and it's really good. That's probably what I'm going to do after this. <laughs> so last but not least, Diana, how can people find you online? How can they follow you? You can find me on Instagram because that's all I can handle in terms of social media. Okay. You can find me on Instagram at Oh Yeah Diana. O H Y E A D I A N A. There's no yeah after the H because my Korean name is Yebin, which means artistic light in Korean. So Oh Yeah Diana. Or my website is www.dianao.co. Please be my friend. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, thank you. And thanks for the fridge tour. That was a good finale that we didn't <laughs> anticipate. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks for being with us. <laughs> thanks for listening. If you like, please rate and review us and share us with your friends. Come back for more interviews, fun queer content, recommendations, and eventually discussions on current theater. We are so excited to hear your queer culture recommendations or any of your ideas on how we could queer the canon. You can call us, yes, actually call us, and leave us a voicemail at 845-445-9251 or send us an email at thesisonjoan at gmail.com. And follow us on social media. We're on Instagram and Twitter at thesisonjoan. Until next time, keep it queer. Not that it'd be that hard for y'all to do. (laughs) Okay, we're recording in my tent. Okay. Holly, you look great in your blanket fort. (laughs) Thank you. Also, you can put your blanket down as I'm talking. It got really hot. Yeah, all three arms have to be exhausted. (laughs) It's been a long time. 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.